Amen. May Jesus reign over all of us today as King. And Hosanna, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Well, we spent the last six, six weeks in the book of Psalms and in preparation for our celebration and remembrance and, uh, of the events in the life of Jesus during that holy week. Austin mentioned a number of the services that are going to be taking place this week. Come as God leads you, and may we remember. May it not be just something old that we've done over years and years. May this be a significant celebration. We've spent some weeks in the book of Psalms. Luther said about the book of Psalms, he called it the, the Bible in miniature. The grace-enthralled Puritans of a previous years, they called it, the book of Psalms, the, the soul's medicine chest. It has been good for us to study some chapters out of the book of Psalms. We looked at Psalm 51 when David talks about his sin. And here we are now in Psalm 32, and we're talking about the forgiveness that comes. And David is celebrating the forgiveness. The great theologian, Augustine, Psalm 32 was his favorite psalm. Augustine, the one who said, Oh God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. In Psalm 32, David expresses His heart's rest and peace in the grace and mercy of God. On this Palm Sunday, do you know the rest and the peace that are available to everyone through the grace and mercy of God? Through what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, we're looking at the life of David, and David is one of the great characters of, of, of the Scriptures. He's probably one of the best-known characters of the Scriptures. You know, what is David known for? We're, I'm going to kind of give you a list. You're going to acknowledge all of these things. I'm going to add one at the very end, that I'm the one that I think is really, really important, and it speaks to us today. But David, right, first of all, we're always are going to think he's the great giant slayer, Right? He's the one that slew uh, Goliath, uh, just this great thing that he did. And it tied in with that, he was a marksman with the slingshot. You know, amazing. David, a worthy king, second king of Israel. The scriptures say that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a musician. He played the harp. We also have recorded in the book of Psalms many of the psalms, the songs, the hymns that he wrote. He was a quiet and brave shepherd. He was a mighty warrior. He was a leader of men. He was a forefather of kings. He was a man in the lineage of our Savior Jesus. And the one that I want to add, the one that goes right at the top of this list, is this. It's going to be on the screen. He was a recipient of undeserved 
and unreserved grace. We're going to see that today. I think that's what Psalm 32 is just kind of laying out before us. We're going to talk about David's sin again because we need to. We're going to look at it again and we're going to see all that it was and all how awful. And Psalm 32 is David saying, and God forgave me. And Psalm 32 is David talking about this undeserved grace that God has poured on me. His unreserved, God didn't hold anything back. And God just poured his grace on me and forgave me the sin in my life. And we're going to see this today. And I've been praying about today is that that message would just come loud and clear through this room. And that the Holy Spirit would just take it, and not my words, but the message of the grace of God, and would just take it and apply it to every single one of us here. And if you're here today and you've never taken that step into God's grace, that today would be the day. But maybe there's all the others of us that we've been living in grace and we've just kind of let it kind of go, and now we kind of think, well, we're pretty good on our own. But that today would be a day when we just kind of wake up to the fact again that everything is about God's grace. And we need it so desperately. So I've just been praying that the Spirit would use Psalm 32 in our midst today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I just ask that you would do that. By your Spirit, would you speak to us? Lord, use this great psalm. These words of David, as he celebrated your grace and mercy in his life. Lord, would that just wash over into us today? Lord, don't let my words or my outline to this sermon, don't let something I might say get in the way of the the work of your spirit in each one of our lives today. On this Palm Sunday, Father, confront us with your grace and mercy. In Christ's name, amen. This is a great psalm. Uh, Pastor Chuck started it last week. Uh, Psalm 32, David celebrates this this great gift. And and he does it by, by, by outlining three treasures that all of us desire, all of us crave, all of us need, that David desired, that David craved, that David needed in his life. He outlines this. He say, these things God gave me out of his mercy and grace. The first one's in verses 1 through 5. The first one is God's forgiveness. Pastor Chuck preached a fine sermon last week on verses 1 through 5. And in verses 1 and 2, he talked about the blessing of forgiveness. In verses 3 and 4, if you kind of see him there, if you remember, he talked about the agony of guilt, that when David didn't confess his sin, his bones wasted away, verse 3 says. Verse 3 says that there was groaning all day long, that God's hand was heavy upon him, that his, heart, that his, that his strength was dried up. The agony of guilt And then in verse 5, 
Pastor Chuck preached on the experience of forgiveness. And this last part of verse 5 just kind of sums up all of these first five verses. When David, he's kind of testifying, he said, I will say, he said, I will confess my, my transgressions to the Lord. And then he kind of transitions, and, he's, and, then, and then he goes, and you, God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Wow. Something David craved. David needed. God granted. You know, this was monumental for David. It was life-changing. His body was wasting away in the agony of guilt. And then the forgiveness came, and everything was changed. It was life-changing. It was future-altering. It was peace-providing. Everything changed. You remember David's sin? We've talked about it along the way. It was awful. It was deep and it was severe. David betrayed his position as king and head of his army. Right? When all the other kings and his army were out doing war, David didn't go. Stayed back in the city. The other kings were there. His men were out risking their lives. David was back home in his palace. And then he's out one night. He sees a a woman bathing and wants her. and, And he slept with another man's wife. And then the woman becomes pregnant from that encounter and and. He seeks to cover up his infidelity and he has a plan and and all of that doesn't work. And so then he resorts to using his power and his position to murder a good man. And all of it succeeds. And then he takes this woman as his wife. I think sometimes... When we read the Psalms and the writings of David, when we celebrate David's life, we forget about his sin. Because in the harshest words, we could look at that and say, well, did David deserve to be forgiven? Look what he did. Does he deserve to be honored in Scripture and celebrated by... You know, look what he did. Did he deserve the forgiveness of God? No, he didn't. He didn't. He deserved to have his bones waste away and groaning all the rest of his life and for all eternity. It was a, a hideous sin. Did he deserve to be forgiven? No, he didn't. But isn't that what the grace and mercy of God is all about? 
And folks, if we need to be honest, and we need to be honest, if we would just speak straight to each other, none of us deserve to be forgiven. No, our lot in life really should be that our bones waste away in verse 3, that there's groaning all day long because of the guilt, the guilt of our sin and the choices that we have made. Maybe they're not the same as David's, but we know our sin and the way we cover up and the way we don't let anybody know and we look so good. What we deserve is for God's hand to be heavy upon us and for our strength to be dried up as that in the heat of summer. And maybe we've all been there, right? And we know what that guilt is like. Did David deserve to be forgiven? No, he didn't. Do we deserve it? No, we don't. But because of God's mercy and God's grace, he forgave David. And because of God's mercy and God's grace, God the Father sent his son to die in our place that our sins might be forgiven. David is celebrating. He celebrates God's forgiveness in his life. The second thing that David received and celebrated and the second thing that all of us want and and need and crave is in verses 6 and 7, God's protection. Look at it here, verses 6 and 7. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. I'll get back to that phrase, those phrases later. And then look at these next phrases here, how, how David describes God's protection in his life. Surely... In the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In these verses here, in these second part of verse 6 and verse 7, David describes in simple phrases how, how God protects his people. And David experienced these. He experienced these things before his great sin. But he also experienced them after that sin. After the forgiveness of God in his life. The last part of verse 6. Sometimes he protects us right in the midst of trouble. See that there? Look at the end of verse 6. Surely in the rush of great waters... They shall not reach him. Right in the midst of the torrents. Right there when the waters are just rushing all around. God protects his people. Oh, does that remind you of uh, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And the waters part. And there's great waters all around them. And they're walking through on the dry ground. I think it does. But I also think it speaks of, of Daniel in the lion's den. Of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right in the fiery furnace. There's fire all around them. And yet it doesn't reach them. 
or like Paul and Silas, in prison, and yet singing praises to God. Or how about Paul out in the ship, and there's a, a great storm that comes, and there's a, a shipwreck, and yet they're all safe. Sometimes that's how God protects his people. And is that how God is protecting you right now? Do you feel like you're in the midst of the rush of the waters? And it's just all around. And there's torrents. And there's currents. And the trouble is so deep. And yet, somehow God is protecting you and bringing you through. And somehow maybe all of this is happening to your body and yet your soul is safe. David goes on. Sometimes God protects us by providing a place of refuge. In this simple phrase of verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. A hiding place. Like for David, the caves and springs of Engedi, when Saul was pursuing him, and David could hide in those safe places. A safe place, a protected place, a guarded place. Here are the words of a person who knows God. You are to me a hiding place. And as one of your pastors, I've had the privilege over and over of hearing from you and of sitting down over a meal or maybe sitting down over in each other's homes or wherever and you tell me your stories how God has done this. And how you've gone through difficult days and yet God has been a hiding place to you. Maybe you didn't say it in those words, but it's the same meaning. That you're still here today because God was a place of refuge and he put you in a place where you were safe and he brought you through. Colossians 3.3 says, Our lives are hid with Christ in God. Jesus is our hiding place. That's sometimes how God protects. Look at the next phrase in verse 7. Sometimes he protects us by keeping us from trouble. Look at verse seven, the next phrase. You preserve me from trouble. Don't you wonder the trouble that he has kept us from? You know, we, we don't even know about it. You know, the things that could have happened. What if I had gone home that way instead of this way? You know, or what if, we, what if I had made that decision or the circumstances or the, or the way history in our lives unfold that God is governing and directing? Oh, the trouble that God has kept us from. That's another part of his protection. Will we ever know about it? 
I don't think we know about it in this life. Will we know about it in the next? I don't know. But we can know that our God is always protecting. And then how about the last phrase, another way that God, sometimes he surrounds us with people and truth. Look at the end of verse 7. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I had to do some work with this phrase. So what is, what is that talking about? And how do we apply that? What is that about, the, being surrounded with shouts of deliverance? And, and it's really talking about the, the celebrations that would take place in the temple when the people of God would gather and they would remember the past and they would remember they'd do the Passover and they would think back on the ways that God had protected and delivered them and they would proclaim it loudly in the temple. There'd be times that God would protect his people by surrounding them. These shouts of deliverance. And for us, I say for us, more than ever for us. When we gather, like we were doing today, when we gather and we, we celebrate our, in our corporate worship and we sing of the gospel and we proclaim the good news of Jesus and we proclaim God's mighty works, his mighty works of grace and salvation, his deliverance and freedom from bondage. Oh, maybe they weren't shouts in this room. Maybe they were our voices in song. But did you feel how that it surrounds us? There's something about it. Do we just take it for granted? It surrounds us when we hear the words and we hear other people singing these words. And it surrounds us with this truth of the gospel and there's protection in that you are not alone there's others who believe the same thing Sinclair Ferguson has written this when truth gets into a creed or a hymn book it becomes the confident possession of the whole church our songs our hymns this confident possession, we proclaim it together and surrounds us. And we're standing next to people who are singing and hear us sing. God's protection. It comes in so many different forms. And here was David, this incredible sinner, David, celebrating God's forgiveness in his life, also celebrating God's protection in his life. And folks, I know we're all the same. We crave it. We need protection. We need it. We want it. Where can we find it? And we find it in God alone. And it is ours not because we deserve it. It is ours because of his mercy and his grace. And then the third thing we see in verse 8, the third thing that David experienced and that we all need and want is God's guidance. 
Look at verse 8. I will, and the, the, David uses a different tense here. It's as if God is speaking. I think David is trying to, to talk about how personal, and he's reinforcing that idea to us. And verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's guidance. David uses kind of two descriptive phrases here. The first part of verse 8 is, uh, we're in God's school. As you're going through life, you are in God's school. He is teaching you. He's instructing you in the way that you should go. I like that image. Because it speaks so clearly that, you know, there's so much we don't know. Life is pretty confusing. There's major decisions that need to be made, and we like to think we know, but we don't know, and we need his guidance. We're in God's school. And how does God do this? The primary way God does this is through his word. Just listen as I read some phrases out of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. This this right here is perfect. And then it says... Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. How does God instruct us? He instructs us through his word. Through taking this truth and bringing it into our lives and finding our way. Oh, how God guides us. And and the second part of verse 8. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Over in the next chapter, chapter 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Here's this guidance of God instructing us by his word and And helping us by by his spirit to understand his word so that we can find our way through life. And then he's counseling us with his eye upon us. Just think of that. God's eye is on you. And when we think through the, the vastness of the universe... We can't eat, it's unmanageable. The, the vastness of the universe, and God is Lord over all of it. When you think of all of the people throughout all of history, or just think right now of the, of the people alive right now that God is watching over. This is our mighty God. He has his eye on us. God's eye is on you. And may that bring warmth and 
intimacy with God. He knows you. God's guidance. David celebrates God's guidance in his life. Well, David experienced these three blessings by the gift of God's mercy and grace. He experienced the forgiveness of his sins. He, forgiveness, he, he experienced God's protection and God's guidance. I believe Psalm 32 is just kind of pushing us. Why did David get those? Did he deserve them? No. Was it because of all the things that David had done before his great sin? Was it because of, you know, his victory over Goliath, his victories over in in other battles, his obedience in all the other ways that God had... Was that why God did all these things in David's life? No. None of those things would still put David in a position where David deserved God's forgiveness and God's protection and God's guidance? Was it because after the sin and he felt so bad, then he went on to be a great leader and expanded the boundaries of Israel and defeated the enemies of God's people and did these great things as a king and set up the kingdom for his son to follow? Was it because of all of that David did in the future? Is that why David experienced the forgiveness of God and the protection of God and the guidance of God? No. It's only because of the mercy and grace of God. And that will be true for all of us in this room as well. And I think there's sometimes for us as living today in this age, I think there's Two sins in particular that, that we can bump into as people. When it comes to dealing with the grace and mercy of God, one of them is the sin of despair. Where we look at our lives and we say, I have sinned. So horribly and repeatedly, secretly, openly, I have sinned so long, too long, too deeply, too much, God could never forgive me. And my memory is so good that all my sin just keeps coming back and it just keeps barreling on and piling on. And that despair can settle in. And we can feel like God could never forgive me. Don't you think David felt that? If you are wrestling with this, maybe this has been something that you have wrestled with for years and you just can't set yourself free. Think about David and the depth of his sin. And God, because of his mercy and grace, forgave him. God, because of his mercy and grace, has sent the perfect, complete sacrifice. He sent his perfect son. And Jesus' sacrifice is greater than your sin. You know, the other sin of despair, the other can be the sin of presumption. 
And I think sometimes us Christians can do this one pretty regularly. We have this sin of presumption where, well, I'm just not that bad. Uh, God's forgiveness in my life just kind of makes sense. I'm not that bad. I haven't sinned that deeply. I've lived a pretty good life. Oh, that God would rescue us and break our pride. We need the grace and mercy of God. Well, just quickly in conclusion here, this psalm has three appeals in it as we try to respond to the grace and mercy of God. The first one is in verse 6. The verse, first part there where it says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Cry out to the Lord when he can be found. Tomorrow may be too late. Have you been putting it off? You know, our Savior, Jesus, is returning someday. He promised that he would. It could be today. And oh, that it would be today that Jesus would return. Don't put it off. Cry out to the Lord on a day when he can be found. There's another appeal in this verse, in this chapter. It's in verse 9. It's kind of an interesting one where it says, uh, don't be foolish. Listen to it. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. It's kind of insulting, isn't it? But there's times we need to be insulted. We need to wake up. Don't be foolish like an animal without understanding. In Jeremiah 8, it talks about how, like horses that just run head, headlong into the battle. Are you just running headlong into your life without any thought? Without ever coming to grips with what God is teaching? What His Word is proclaiming? Isaiah 53 talks about sheep going astray, everyone each turning to its own way. Are you just like an animal, like a sheep, just going through your life, going the way you want to go, rather than dealing with the Creator? Don't be foolish, like an animal without understanding. Oh, I say, has God opened your eyes today? Turn to him. Maybe there's some in the room, and God has opened your eyes today, and it's time to return to him. Come back. And there's one more appeal. It's just as strong as these first two. And it's the last two verses. And the last two verses, David in this psalm of celebration just kind of says, you know, there's two options. Take your choice. Look at verses 10 and 11. The first option, the sorrows of the wicked. He says it. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. The second option, the joys of the righteous or the songs of the righteous. Look at the end of 10 and and verse 11. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
Here are the two choices. The sorrows of the wicked or the joys of the righteous. Verse 10, the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Who's the one who trusts in the Lord? Well, the end of the next phrase, O righteous. Who are the righteous? The upright in heart, those that turn to the grace and mercy of God. Here is this great psalm of David. David celebrates. Are you celebrating today? Just as the singers are going to come now, I'm going to ask if if everyone would please bow your heads. How do we respond to this passage of Scripture today? Just between you and the Lord, I'm not going to ask you to do anything outward, but just between you and the Lord, how do we respond to this? With heads bowed right now, just between you and God, As individuals, I think our first response is to say, Lord, I I need, I need this. I need your forgiveness. I need your protection. I need your guidance. Would you just say that to the Lord? And then the next step is to say, Heavenly Father, you provide these to me by your grace. You sent your Son. You've given us your word. You're in our lives. You provided by your mercy and your grace. I recognize that it's not ever going to be something I do. It all comes from you. Would you just say that to him? And then lastly, we say, I, I turn to you in faith. I can't do these things on my own. I turn to you in faith. Thank you that Jesus provides my salvation. Thank you that your word will guide me in your spirit. Thank you for your protection. I turn to you by faith. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us. Or as we leave this place today, Lord, help us to live out Psalm 32. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace that provides for us what we can find nowhere else. Lord, by your Spirit, direct us to the forgiveness that is found in Jesus alone. Father, by your Spirit and the truth of your word, Guide us through life. And Father, by your mercy and your grace, continue to protect us according to your will. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.